Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Requiem Radio. Today, I have our guest with us today, Marcel Dumar Gatro. Really proud to get him on. Uh, we have our co-host as well, Hazy Dialects. I think I'm going to be enjoying this episode a lot. He's been a good friend I've known for a hot minute now. And we're going to be talking particularly about his substacks that he's been writing on um, Gangway Conservatism. Been enjoying reading it, and I think it's a pretty trippy ride. No pun intended. <laughs> Hazy, want to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm uh, Hazy Dialects. Um, I'm the guy who's been on Twitter a lot, um, discussing at length how um, someone might be excelling at one field doesn't make them a master at all. Take Elon Musk, for example, who has been talking about the 80% of ventilation and how that is incorrect to understand how, you know, someone's, you know, ability to survive on ventilation, you know, works out, you know. But, you know, Joe Rogan and them on a podcast together, clearly they're experts of uh, how asymptomatic uh, symptoms work, you know, and how breathing works all together. So uh, I'm going to push it over to our guest of the day and uh, let him chat up a little bit about himself. Since uh, I've read um, all of his, I, I read um, the Substacks, and he's a exceptional writer, and it was quite a read. So I can't wait to get into that. But first, I'll let him introduce himself. All right, Sola Hazy, thank you for having me on. Happy to be here. My name is Marcel Dumas-Gatrau. I am a PhD graduate from George Mason University, uh, an Austrian economist, fellow at the Mises Institute, lots of other libertarian bona fides like that. And this article series, Gangweed Conservatism, primarily concerns uh, what can only be called a top-down, very artificial push. Really, it's it's across all spectrums, uh, or rather all strains of right-wing thought, even from the mainstream Republican Party out to the most supposedly niche and edgy of all right ideologies, there's this constant drumbeat of poison pushers trying to get people to tr just try it, just try psychedelics. Whether or not people are actually doing those psychedelics, you know, I don't know, but definitely it is being pushed. And so I think people should be aware of the fact that this isn't normal. It's not a coincidence. It's not something that you should simply wave off. You should be aware of who's doing it and you should be questioning them vigorously when somebody is trying to push these ideas. Yeah, as we uh, understand, pharmaceuticals are not a niche topic. It's not a niche subject matter in terms of like our understanding in the modern day lexicon or even in the early 90s to 80s. As PSAs were released on a regular basis about how they scramble your mind. At least I would imagine that the codependency on these things would do so. Thus, it was almost spoken about as a holistic wavering of drugs in any capacity, at least if you're not getting them from a doctor or registered nurse. Throughout this series, a man, Marcel here, has spoken about psychedelics and the transcendence science that is uh, not irrefutable and far from reputable in terms of sources. But surprisingly enough, we've seen people from Russell Brand, who talks about the distribution, redistribution of wealth, to um, high-class conservative figures as Jordan Peterson speak at length about the subject matter on channels like Dave Rubin. With all these individuals from drastically different um, parameters of the spectrum, if we're speaking politically, as well as people who even talk about the disenfranchisement of Black people who might be um, seeing it as an apropos uh, decision to take upon psychedelics, um, Marcel tries to make sense of it all and might be what might be the motivators as to why people are even feeling um, involved or encouraged to push these drugs with less than substantiary evidence 
to even inform the audience to partake in these um, well bills. So um, I would like to give it up to um, um, Solo Rickham because he's uh, coming in now with something on the subject matter as well. Yeah, no, I agreed. And I really enjoyed definitely reading through a series because it's interesting how you started off with like, you know, you're reading the American Conservative and the headpiece was principalities and powers. And it went into the whole Aaron Rodgers situation with him and the COVID vaccine refusal. And you just go down the rabbit hole to figure out, oh, this guy's actually doing like psychedelics, too. He's like getting information for like some shaman-esque figure. And it kind of like begs the question when you look at other political fig- figures in there. And even so, like, you're able to bring up, like, you know, Carl Jung and, like, C.S. Lewis on that. Was there anyone else you thought about bringing in for the first article, um, Charles Taylor and the World of Pure Imagination? Sorry, be a little more clear when you say, was there anybody else I wanted to bring in? Yeah, my apologies. So, um, for necessarily that topic, because I know you touched a lot about, like, the religious, I guess, if you put it, the religious right sides of it, like the Orthodox Christians um and going forward on that like that whole culture subsect of the right no going through tack and other parts of the network did it for the most part this particular strain of thought only appears and what can only be called more liturgical branches of christianity uh from more you know the more high church we'll say high church people so the people who become ortho they become catholic maybe they become anglican or lutheran although i haven't actually seen any self-declared lutherans doing this kind of thing but it's really on that side of the spectrum i think the only person who was this part one article that ended up not being such was rush v i do not remember on what basis but i decided that rush v belonged in, in, a, in a separate article oh because his story of conversion was so interesting that it belongs somewhere else um my my question that um really i suppose kind of comes um to anyone who sees you go down this rabbit hole with such an intricate level of research i wanted to ask um what was the initiator for you to get into the subject matter what was the what was the um what thing did you come across or what idea dawned on you that made you want to go down this rabbit hole so i would say the i had always thought there was something slightly strange about uh you know the joe rogan you should just smoke weed man that kind of thing but i was willing to you know let it slide because it's joe rogan that's just his own weird thing i had known that other people on the right had these strange views i had named um cernovich i i, I kind of seen the sort of thing uh, I had heard the story of Adam Waffen, which we, I discussed in the very last article. That one got me thinking about MK Ultra. But the thing that pushed it over the basket was the TAC article. Like when I saw an article, but that article in TAC uh, about, not Timothy Lear, what is his name? Aaron Rodgers. And I just looked at that. And, and I was in another discussion with it. And I listened to other people talk about it. And I realized, like, no, this is actually insane. Like, this is actually not something that is normal. And this is something, I mean, Sola has seen me in plenty of uh, Twitter spaces. I'm very much against pretending that abnormal things are normal. So, and, and I'm very much upset when, you know, I tell people like, you know, yeah, everybody's pushing it. And then you they, when you say that and they say, oh, I don't think everybody's pushing it. Like, can you give me examples? And so I decided, okay, I never want to hear anybody ask me these sorts of questions ever again for the rest of my life. So we're going to write a whole article. And anytime anybody asks me or questions me, when I say everybody on the right is pushing psychedelic drugs, they'll say, nah, who? And I'll just say, I start saying Jordan Peterson, Goldbug, Cernovich, Rick Perry. I, I just start running through name after name after name. So uh, it was partially 
it was a buildup of facts in my mind, the tack thing, and a discussion surrounding it that I heard on a podcast tipped me over the basket, and we're just it's like, okay, let's write it. And I think that necessarily one of the fascinating things about the article that, all right, so I wanted to say that it wouldn't necessarily be compelling to me as a reader to see that there was a large swath of conservatives um, pushing psychedelics. Like maybe there's just an evangelical uh, uh, um, subsection of the religiosity within the conservative uh, boundaries that look towards some way of reaching transcendence or reaching the higher up to speak to the word of God or be in like touch with it. And I could imagine that. Um, what makes this article particularly unique is the fact that there are so many individuals that reside within um, different political factions that, have, that are so misaligned that you couldn't imagine them all unifying on this one thing. And so it does, um, especially with them all having drastically different um, motivators as to why this is a good thing. So that's a very interesting thing I thought was um, at least worth delving into in your article. When you speak about the subject matter, you go, okay, not only is this people who have drastically different ideologies and beliefs, these are all people who are coming um, with uniquely, um, like uniquely crafted messages that would only like, it would be different if all these people were saying the exact same thing. Like, okay, okay, this is a, this is a unilateral thing, understanding about the 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 undeniable um, evidence that is surrounding psychedelics, for example, right? Like, if they were all unified, they were all saying the same thing. Yeah, you could understand that. But no, these messages feel more curated to the particular audience. Ones that, like, are uniquely different than the ones that are being said. Well, they're also like differences. So I thought it was fascinating in that regard. So yeah, it's very much like a dare commercial or that meme where the guy's trying to offer you weed and it's like, please, bro, you got to smoke this, bro. No, no, that that's Indica. This is a Tiva, bro. It's a different strain, bro. Please, please, please. You know, being on the American right is very much like that, where a bunch of a bunch of thought leaders are each trying to get you to do a different psychedelic and each one is offering you like a different reason. Like, please, bro, this will clear your nihilism, bro. Please, you know, it'll make you better at, at, at coding, dude. Please, I'm, I'm begging you. This is different, bro. Please try it. It's interesting and you bring that up too because you talk more about Ch Charles Taylor and the book Secular Age and almost this reignition of like him using a term called reenchantment, which is like a modern term that was coined. And I liked how in the first article, you kind of took the bull by the horn where you just said what Taylor fails to understand is this, you know, all of this magic stuff is 100% fake without a single exception. The people in the past were too stupid, ignorant, deluded, or brainwashed to pick it up. And then you just go down the list showing like, hey, this is actually a pretty modernist thing. This isn't like some ancient guru wisdom from like, you know, let's say the Eastern Orthodox in the mountains type thing. Yes, and I should also clarify uh, Charles Taylor is a perfectly intelligent person and Charles Taylor is not himself pushing psychedelics on people. Rather, this re-enchantment, disenchantment idea is then being used to justify this use of drugs. I mean, I have a problem with Charles Taylor in that he is religious and I am not, but I do not think that he is part of the problem that this article and this article series is meant to discuss. Okay, sounds good. Um... I'm sure we're going to get it down the road, but a quick question. You see the right, mainly in political streams normally. We went from the Nixon era and then Reagan of like a very hard stance against drugs and the war on drugs. 
when do you think that was like a kind of a shift or a change culturally for this? When did conservatives start pushing psychedelic drugs? Yeah, what would you say in like I guess the modern term? Because I know the CIA, like we're gonna get to that later in the podcast, was already messing with that stuff. But I would say it started in earnest sometime around COVID that really kicked it into gear because that is when you saw the importation of pharma skepticism, anti-vaccine stuff into the right. And so I think that was that was like the inflection point. I know the first time that I had heard people making the case for these drugs was uh, it, I forgot to libertarianism in 2012 with, or maybe a little beforehand for Ron Paul. And actually maybe it was a little after someone in 2009 in the first Obama, <laughs> the first time of the Obama administration and a major personality at that time was a guy named Adam Kokesh, who was a member of Iraq veterans against the war fought in Fallujah. Uh, he used to, he probably still does do activism with code pink. And he was always talking about, I'm trying to remember what his drug of choice was. I do believe that Adam Kokesh was into salvia and psilocybin. And he was always talking about how uh, different psychedelic drugs were critical to preserving his mental state because of all of the various crimes that he admitted that he perpetrated while he was in Fallujah. So that was my first time sort of hearing about drugs in this way. And again, because that was simply Adam Kokesh being weird, and I understood you know, reasonably well that the libertarian movement is full of those kinds of weirdos, I, I just buried that, right? It's like, okay, that's just an interesting thing about Adam Kokesh. A lot of people who are into libertarianism, especially in those days, uh, in the Free State Project and so on, uh, again, that culture has changed a little bit, were into drugs. Uh, there was a whole entrapment scandal that went through um, well, no names, but the Free State Project and certain radio shows affiliated with with it had some things happen, uh, starting with uh, entrapments or just seeing operations based on drugs, which is actually probably one of the major reasons, just if nothing else, why you should not do drugs is that people who do drugs are a danger to any organization that they're in because they attract the attention of law enforcement. Everybody commits three felonies a day, as the saying goes. And so anybody who is any organization that allows people to do drugs is probably going to attract government attention just for that. If they're already getting government attention, that's an in for infiltration. And the kinds of people who will join an organization of people like you will be inherently people who are not good at assessing risk. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. What would you say about the, I know in the first article you written about, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam McCall was his name? And the, what's it, three-part series of use of psychedelics as viewed from the right? Oh, yeah, Sam McCall's article in I Am 1776, yes. What would you say, did that shock you, like, reading the results in that? Because I saw you you were pretty bold in your response, being like, this is some noble, savage stuff, you know, sorry, the human sacrifices will stop type mentality. Do you want to comment or elaborate more on that? Yes, well, by the time I got to that, I, I, was, no, I was not surprised. This article was originally written as, this article was written as one giant article at first, but then sometime around breaking, like, like in the tens of thousands of words, a, a, a few friends of mine said, Marcel, you have to split this up. And I don't remember what got me to the IM-776 thing. But no, by that time, I was not surprised to read it. I was just annoyed. I think I was directed to it. I think by, by that point, I was looking at Cernovich. And I think Cernovich is what led me to this. Because this, because uh, McCall was the one talking about the proper liturgical, yes, proper liturgical frameworks. Christianity is a scuba suit. You know, like you're turning on the Gellerfield before you go into the warp. You know, before you go into this demon realm, make sure that you, you know, 
First, you get down on your knees. Then you say your rosaries, bow your head with great respect, you know. Yeah, I get that. What would you say, though, to a larger, larger audience? Because I know, for example, the other night, I'm not going to say a person's name. You got an argument with a gentleman who was that religious, you know, psychedelic bro. And he was critiquing, saying, In like, this is that guy, he was not telling you to do psychedelics. So I would say this. One, when you read yeah. something, right, if you, well, this article demonstrates why the, the person we're talking about, why that person's position is dangerous. Look, barring the facts of it, just, just temporarily subsetting on where that spirits are real. Saying that these things put you in touch with the spiritual, but you shouldn't do it because it's dangerous is a total non-starter if you are a Christian, because any Christian knows that you have a, a friend against whom no weapon shall prosper, right? So saying like, oh, be careful because of these spiritual entities. So any Christian would say, well, hang on a second. I'm protected from all hostile spiritual entities, right? And so any person of like moderate curiosity will just ask the question like, well, what if I make sure that I'm properly protected then? Can I do it? And you might be able to get into a dialogue saying like, well, you know, that would be like saying, you know, if I'm strong enough in my faith, can I make human sacrifices to pagan gods? Like if one is true, the, you wouldn't do the other. You might be able to, but either way, this is a mode of thought that is even allowed on the table. So just on its own, separate from the truth, you shouldn't say things like this. Second, the stuff's not real, right? None of these things are real. And, you know, people, right, people were saying, you know, the very fact that atheists take these drugs come out of them and think that the delusions they arrived at while they were on drugs are real. And they're taking this as evidence of the divine. And this is, again, I never, I, I haven't used this argument in many, many years because I've sort of outgrown his face, but this is like a really insane level of God of the gaps, right? At this point, now you're like, you know, you know people used to make fun of Bill O'Reilly, you know, oh, tide goes in, tide goes out, can't explain that. But now we're like, yo, when I take, when I drink South American tree sap, I see ghosts. You know, can you explain that atheist? You know, it almost insults your intelligence to even have to engage in it. And so what, and what I would more deeply tell is that I, I, I really don't need to explain why you shouldn't take psychedelic drugs to get in touch with God or ghosts or anything like that. Everybody just living in our liberal Western society should understand in theory why that's wrong. And on a more important meta level, anybody who tells you otherwise should be mistrusted. Anybody yeah. who tells you otherwise you should be immediately suspicious of them. Everything they say is immediately called into question. And that's another issue. Not only should you do it, but most people who are not you, right? People who are not in whatever local right-wing network you're in, just normal people will, you know, you already have, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already have enough weird sounding right-wing views that are off-putting to people. It will not help you at all to tell people that you arrive at some of these conclusions by microdosing LSD, right? That, 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 cannot, that cannot possibly help you. You are only burning credibility. And, um, you know, you, you're putting yourself in like a, a private world of just total nonsense, right? When you do these drugs, that, like, the reality is you're putting yourself in a private world of total nonsense. Even if somehow you allow yourself to be convinced that that's not true, everybody else will think that that is true. And that should be a strong, strong reason for you to think twice and then three times again before you let somebody like put it in your head that your life will be improved by doing drugs. I'm actually kind of curious because I know the first article was tailored specifically, you said like to the religious rites, to the Roman Catholics and to the Eastern Orthodox. 
did you ever dive pretty deep into like the whole Christian mysticism, that whole thing? Because I know the Eastern Orthodox, they have a strange practice where they have the foot of a saint that somehow is preserved and they put it in a large body of water, like a giant tub. And then they put some type of ingredients in. I don't know. I'm not going to say what it is. You can use your imagination. And they get the townspeople to come by and like drink out of it. It's just, like decayed foot in there, basically. And they, they talk about, we see like spiritual visions. We see angels and all these crazy things like that. Like, but it gets really deep into like the lore of like Christian mysticism. What's your thoughts on that? I I, I, I can't say. I mean, I'll I'll just, I'll just let that go. You know, if that's what you're doing, you know, at least you're supervised. You know, and I can safely say that that is completely separate from the kind of thing I'm complaining about. I mean, you know, in 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 the nature of good taste and good relations, I'll just let that. We'll just step over it. In my personal opinion about psychedelics, I can see how, um, at best, what people typically experience is a certain ego death, uh, a certain detachment from oneself, and they get to almost reconfigure to some degree, uh, realizing how insignificant they are in the world in some regard. Thus, like they um, get to recenter how much. Um, what ought and what ought not matter to them in life. And I think that is at best what could be discerned from psychedelics to some degree. However, if you're, um, if you're, uh, um, if you're trying to tell the masses at loss that a constant doses of a drug that almost detaches you from yourself is a, um, we've, we, um, is a way to reconfigure like your living and how you live and how you perceive world is to constantly almost unplug yourself to some regard from life and how like existence occurs. Um, I don't know if that is tenable in any capacity. So that was my, um, at least in terms of like a lot of people I've um, listened to and it, it, it almost, um, it almost seems incoherent to 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 present this as like a constant that should be a part of your life if we're talking psychedelics mushroom consumption and uh micro dosing i do want to make one more point on mystical experiences and i think we should move on to the next article so for those who don't know mystical experiences is this idea actually let me just read the exact definition uh from from rudolf otto quote the feeling of it may at times come sweeping like a gentle tide, pervading the mind with a tranquil mood of deepest worship. It may pass over into a more set and lasting attitude of the soul, continuing, as it were, thrillingly vibrant and resonant until at last it dies away and the soul resumes its profane, non-religious mood of everyday experience. And I compare this to a feeling that I get, you know, on, on those occasions, maybe once or twice a year when I enter a church and, you know, you sort of, sort of feel the weight of the building on you. You know, you, you look at the artifacts and you kind of feel this, well, I feel this temptation to touch things almost like a small child. And as I'm about to do it, like I sort of feel this force almost beyond, um, beyond social propriety, like almost something else telling me like, you know, don't do that. And then I sort of take a deep breath and then the feeling goes away. And this idea of mystical experiences, and I contrasted it heavily with um, something more acceptable. I contrast this to, to, to Paul. So if you were, if somebody were to tell me again, I am an atheist, but if I'm, t if I'm talking to somebody and they say, I believe in the risen Christ and I say, okay, why do you believe in the risen Christ? And they say, well, you're not going to believe it, but I, well, you're right. Yeah. I was walking down the street on my way to Damascus to go oppress some Christians and the risen Christ appeared before me in the street and he blinded me 
lectured me for a moment, and then he told me where to go and who I would meet. Nobody else saw that person but me. And then when uh, when I was in the city, uh, a sure enough, a person cured my blindness, and also now I can perform miracles. I would say, okay, you know, I can't. That, that, you know, I can't just say like, well, you know, it's the chemicals in your brain, right? That, that's a bit of a weird thing to say like, oh, well, you know, ever heard of oxytocin? There you go, right? That'd be kind of dumb. That'd be a dumb response. However, if you tell me, well, I have this feeling it was transient. That is to say, it came as soon as it went. Uh, it was passive. I wasn't able to trigger it. It was ineffable. I can't explain it. And it was noetic. That is to say, um, I feel as though I learned something. I would say, okay, well, that's not anything, right? That's a feeling in your brain. And what is particularly egregious with these people is, you know, one person we were talking to talked about like the God molecule. They were able to isolate down to a specific molecule. What caused that feeling? I mean, at, at a certain point, we can probably explain that feeling more easily. We can explain, explain love or even hunger, I'm pretty sure. That is like the most explainable. And I compared it to somebody, you know, the, the more... The, the more vague and indescribable the feeling is, the more likely it is to be a dump of chemicals in your brain. And I compared it before to like Scarecrow's fear gas. Like imagine you met somebody who had never experienced um, any, they never experienced fear before. They experienced anger, sadness, but never fear. And then uh, Dr. Crane comes along and, you know, hits them with the fear gas. And suddenly they're hit with a feeling that they've never felt before. They can't explain it. And they say, I think this is like supernatural. I've never felt this emotion before and I can't even describe it. It's, it, it, it's wrong to compare what I'm feeling right now to, to, to anger. Like, yes, my heart is pounding, but it's different. And I would say, okay, that's called fear. Like, it's just chemicals. Like, no, this was way too complicated to be a chemical. And I say, yeah, watch, here's a, you know, and I just spray you again, right? And you're like, ah, like, okay. So if, we, if I've got it down to the specific molecule that it is, if I'm telling you, here's the molecule that causes it, here is the gas that I can put on you that causes it. And each time I do it, basically without fail, you feel it. That is so, that is obviously like, you cannot possibly say that that is any kind of evidence for supernaturalism. We've literally identified the molecule, but often people do say, well, can you identify the specific chemical pathway? I guess not, but we don't need to, right? You know, we know what certain things are even before we've identified them. You know, we knew about heredity before we knew about DNA. Yeah, um, I think um, any belief that requires um, at least a a strong adherence to a belief that its strongest rebuttal to dissenting opinions happens to rely on the notion of the inexplainable or just asking or inquiring at infinitum is completely kind of useless as a uh, as like as a foundation for like a belief system or like that is probably like the the worst of it all if i can like ex- explain extensively for the most part what we're referring to what discussing and all you can do is just at infinite ask me a question or inquire until i say i don't know and then go we're back at the bill o'reilly sort of conundrum of you can't explain that mm-hmm. um for the audience at home if you could for the first article before we go into the next article just give an overarching um message that um should um, be understood by it. You're not going to cure your nihilism or restore your family or your nation by taking drugs. You're going to have to do something else, right? You know, I think I said, you know, I'm sorry, Aaron, but you're still in Egypt. You know, imagine if Aaron and Moses just said, like, we need to we need to remystify the world by getting high, and then somehow this will lead 
to us, you know, curing the, the Hebrews of whatever malaise they have. Like, no, that's not how that works. Sounds good. Moving on to the second article then that you wrote, um, Peter Thiel and the narco-capitalist. And this one was pretty good because you actually tackled a lot of things like, hey, you know, where is a lot of this new stuff coming from? You talked about, you know, Evola. You talked about Steve Bannon, Andrew Anglin, Greg Abbott as like some of the people like point to like, hey, why is the American right so interested in this phenomenon? And I feel like Evola, especially if you ever go online and like go into these circles where they're more like, you know, the esoteric right people, the people like the Nishians, if you will, like that whole crowd where they're rejecting that. They're like, yeah, we're like, you know, Evola, Nisha. But uh, same question, similar before. Do you think there's anyone else you'd add on to that list from like philosopher standpoints? Of old, like wholesome chungus, old, like, I'm not a fascist, I'm a super fascist, I'm not a fascist, I'm a whatever. No, I think, um, I think I named most of, like, I got that list, because part of the, when I was doing this research, I found that there are plenty of articles, like, in The Guardian and other, you know, normal or left-wing sources that also think that this is strange. And, 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 you know, that's, that's like the ultimate confirmation, you know, that you're onto something. It's like, you know, why is the American right so interested in psychedelic drugs? Like, I'm glad somebody else noticed. Yeah, definitely. And you were talking too about what's it, MDMA and um, America's victims of racism, police violence, and mass incarceration. Oh, and yes, then, yes. Yeah. The left's concern is that, <laughs> you know, Peter Thiel is normalizing drugs in like a race or in like a in like an evil racist capitalist way. And it's like, no, no, we need to be giving more drugs to like minorities to help them cope with America's racism. Yeah. Could you imagine like, you know, to, just totally missing the point. And also imagine, I, I seem to remember, you know, many years ago, there was a case of, uh, you know, an urbanized individual who like eaten somebody's face off because he was high on bath salts. And like, no matter how, like he had to get shot like over, well over a dozen times before he eventually went down. You know, we should not be giving out drugs like this. And they yeah, treat it like it, a human right. It's one of those things where it's just like, oh my gosh, I remember reading that, drinking coffee. And I was laughing to myself, like a little chuckle at that line. But Hazy, you're going to say something? Also, I think it's kind of like quite perplexing that if we're talking about the disenfranchisement of the um, um, black community at large and in terms of a capitalist regime that is disenfranchising them and subjugating them in such a way, why would you? Um, make wouldn't you want to make that community, if anything, more proactive? Prescribing to this notion, it feels like, if above all else, I would want to enact some communal effort to ensure that we are uplifting this community through any means we can, whether that be through um, charity, um, an assertion of like more um, communal wealth, um. Um, things that build up the community in ways of like making more like businesses that are desirable within the local areas, something of that nature, not encouraging uh, a continuous sedation of that community. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're exactly right. And this is something also that, and, and I talk about like the left just doesn't get it when it comes to these things. They, they see, they, a lot of effort, a lot of a lot of effort was saved for me because a lot of leftists had done a lot. Of, I mean, there's a lot of other research by other people, um, but a lot of left-wing sources did research on this, and I could just look at them. It's like, wow, this is incredible stuff, and I would just see them take all this information together and just just jump into crazy town, just just do absolutely get the absolute wrong conclusions out of this. Like, this must be because Peter Thiel wants to 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 
to to strengthen the patriarchy. You know, it's like, wait, what? No. Or as you say, like, you know, Peter Thiel is trying to uh, give this, to, or or not Peter Thiel in this case, uh, the Mercer Foundation is trying to give these drugs to veterans to like shape, take the edges off their PTSD. And you're thinking like, that's terrible. You should be doing that to black people instead. They're traumatized, aren't they? You know, it's one of those things where it's like, wh- think about everything. You're literally seeing people who by your own understanding are some of the most vile scum imaginable doing this to make money. And you're like, why not make money off of me instead? And it's funny you mention that too, because recently for me getting out of um, the armed service, I've seen a lot of up push and the VA and other third party agencies saying like, hey, we're doing these new experimental, you know, operations of like, you know, micro dosing. Sign up today if you want to try this out. You know, it's definitely going to cure your PTSD. And if you look at the research on it, it's like extra shady stuff that like doesn't really have no like any like proven statistical like use to the sense. It's just like, oh, we done a study on like 10 people and three of them like felt they said they felt better when high. I'm like, yeah, because they're fucking high. Excuse my language. They're high. Like, what do you expect? But. It's interesting. Definitely. Yeah, we, we'll get to before we start talking about the troops. So when it comes to understanding, you know, the idea of like a feel right. So this would be NRX people, intellectual dark web people. So NRX would be people like um, Bronze Age Mindset or Bronze Age Pervert, rather, Nick Land, Yarvin, Yoram Hazoni, and everybody at the National Conservatism Conference. Uh, the intellectual dark web, those are the post-left people. So that's Dave Rubin. Brett and Eric Weinstein, Jordan Peterson, Douglas Murray, Joe Rogan, Sam Harris. A lot of these people are, let's say, form, you know, members of the atheist community. Uh, you know, Sam Harris, uh, Stephen Pinker, and so on. Uh, you know, these were old secularists, secular humanists. And so there's a huge amount, uh, a huge amount of overlap between these people. It was like, yeah, I used to be, I used to be super far to the left, but then the left, you know, the left left me. You know, they moved too far to the right, to the left. Uh, and we, I mean, this is also just the, the, the calling card of neoconservatism, which is a whole separate topic for a whole separate presentation. Um, I would highly recommend anybody who wants to learn about neoconservatism, read Reclaiming the American Right by Justin Raimondo. But this idea of like taking people who used to be, you know, bitter enemies of religion, bitter enemies of white America, bitter enemies of tradition, and saying like, you're going to be a right wing thought leader now. You know, we've already, we've done this dance at least three times. Yeah, and could you elaborate more on what you meant by um, talking when you're on Peter Thiel, saying that as like um, Thiel is a primarily known online as a major patron of what is best called the Thiel right? Or how long has that been around? Would you say and like where are the main differentiations between them and like let's say the intellectual dark web or dark enlightenment? Yeah, so the Thiel right is IDW and dark enlightenment. Those are the two I would say main branches, the two main sides of the project. Uh, when did the Thiel right start being a thing? I would say, so Yarvin was doing Caribbean, Yarvin was doing unqualified reservations for years. I would probably say whatever point Mench's Moldbug came out by name as Curtis Yarvin, that would have been part of it. I know the intellectual dark web uh, started in a certain sense with Jordan Peterson, and Jordan Peterson was a thing during the election of 2016 and a little bit before then. So yes, that would have been, I would say this project really began uh, to, to siphon off the energy of the MAGA movement. And do you find it strange at all how like all these different like ideologies, like even talk about it, terminally online right wing ideologies, like the monarchists, the Catholic integralists, you know, post-liberalists, the paleos, all these different groups and libertarians, 
I'm kind of like <laughs> together in the same thing. Did that like raise eyebrows? Are you like, wait a minute? It's like a zoom out moment. Yes, and there's a few things going on there. One of them is just the fact that you know, once you you know, one radical ideology in a certain sense is just as good as any other if it's just an exercise in self-aggrandizement, right? You always want to be you're in sort of an arms race. You want to have the hottest take. You want to be you know smarter. You want to have something else. But there are very clear, you know, fence lines, certain ideologies you definitely can't jump to. And you might think, well, libertarianism probably won't off-ramp you into many of those, but, you know, no, surprisingly, it will. And so, you know, you, that's why you see, you know, there are, there are only so many libertarian-adjacent ideologies, you know, that are, that are fake like this. Uh, I think what they toss out for us. I guess, neo, like, neocameralism, which is Moldbug's idea of the this privatized state corporation monarchy thing. Uh, that's like an offering for libertarianism. We've also had like post-libertarians or praxians, but that's really, um, hey, we get to use a word from earlier. That's really like tradcaths doing an interesting hermeneutic on Murray Rothbard where they start talking about the marginal value of power. But most of these fake ideologies are really there to stop people from getting into, just say for example, fascism, right? Just hardline, pure on like white pride worldwide fascism. And so most of these ideologies are there to be like, whoa, 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 don't do that. You know, picking some wholesome Chungus dictator from Central Europe. It's like, hey, you know who's really based? You know, um, uh, uh, Podrianu, you know, he ran the Iron Guard in Romania. You know, he was, he was a traditionalist Catholic. That's based, isn't it? You know, hey, you know who's really based? You know, uh, uh, um, Francisco Franco. But what, you know, but then they'll wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and be like Protestant Franco, right? Which is like, you know, you can have Hitler, but don't call him Hitler, call him Protestant Frankly, even though Hitler was also Catholic and not Protestant, so it wouldn't make any sense. You know, it's a very kind of weird kind of dog whistle. And so most of these ideologies are, are, are put out there, you know, because I don't know if they just lack the confidence. You know, as an anarcho-libertarian, I'm perfectly capable of arguing against like national socialism on my own. I, I don't need to like make up a fake ideology that does nothing. And like anytime somebody's like, you know, Marcel, I disagree with you about anarcho-libertarianism. I think that we should have a state that, um, you know, attacks bankers and takes their stuff. I don't feel the need to lie and say like, whoa, 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 if you're going to do that, you know, let me waste your time with a whole lot of, <laughs> you know, a whole lot of esoteric nonsense. Have you heard of Julius Evola? And, you know, that's what a lot of this is. It's like a bad faith attempt to, 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 to divert what they feel is like a libertarian to alt-right pipeline. Thank you. Um, um, two things. Um, in some degree, when we talk about dark web enlightenment or like dark web intellectuals, um, usually these are perceived as some sort of countermeasure or countercultural measure to a lot of society. And it, to some degree, I think a lot of people resonate with these ideas because they feel as though they're inspiring into individualism in them. But in some degree, some of them like go astray and fall into more like dictatorial like uh ideals or they they start to um inspire like uh admire more uh dictatorial figures to some degree so i find that kind of interesting as well um some of the, the, the conversations at least um one of the things i find to be concerning about is one of the dark web intellectuals like jordan peterson who can speak for his own to some degree but sometimes i think it's uh one of my minor criticisms of jordan peterson's is that he's an excellent psychologist. I mean, in terms of his field of understanding that, I think he's pretty amazing. But then there are some takes where I'm not quite sure how he's then baffled by the results of them. 
such as his um, like claims about IQ and like how salvageable those people are on society on a larger scale, like the ability to um, contribute significantly or um, positively while also believing that they are operating at a functional negative for society. And then you have um, people who will respond to something to the effect of, well, we need to get like, like, I don't know how you don't, in, at least implicitly, inspire some eugenics rhetoric within your audience. And then you go, what are these people coming from? Like, I mean, it seems like, sorry for the comp, sorry for the joke here, but I just thought it was just, it's not a joke per se. It's just that it just perplexes me in some to some regard when there is a clear implicit element to your language that could lead people to more radical or extreme like thought um put schools of thought but i want to ask you about um you said anarcho uh anarcho libertarianism is that what you said um or is that a prescription if i'm correct of myself yes i'm, I'm a rothbardian a libertarian okay. free markets anarchism i'm, I'm, I'm for all that i'm still and stuck the, as some might say in 2012 you know Okay, and for the audience at home, could you just give like a condensed and concise version as to what that in, um, includes? Okay, so anarcho-libertarianism, anarcho-capitalism is just the idea that, you know, the free market is a primary engine of growth and the state is a parasite on growth. This, uh, it gives privileges to destroyers. It causes a financial crises through central banking inherently. And so the world would be best served if all states were simply abolished and everything was done in the private sector. That would include cops, courts, and national defense through a combination of, let's say, mercenaries and private courts. Uh, anybody who's interested in that can go on YouTube and look up um, The Machinery of Freedom and Animated Lecture, uh, where David Friedman, a decently good economist for a Chicagoan, uh, discusses how, at the base level how such social order would work. Uh, so I might as well toss out some um, more books. If you're interested in, in Austrian economics, you should start out by reading um, by reading The Mystery of Banking. So watch The Machinery of Freedom animated lecture, read The Mystery of Banking, and then to get into Rothbardianism, um, the, the specific sub-branch, uh, go on to Mises.org and look at everything that's there. That's you know the, the flagship of this whole, this whole operation. And also, uh, there's a book called egalitarianism as a revolt against nature and other essays and that book is free to read on mises.org okay and um so um ideally um the the for a society or um for an uh libertarian or capitalistic anarcho society to work there doesn't need to be some level of your unifying uh, morality or um governance per se Correct. You can have a certain, you can have a great deal of diversity of thought, especially if people don't really live next to each other. You know, since the in, since the the interface between them will be a prearranged court system in case a dispute arises. And if there are more foundational disputes, for example, on the nature of even who can make a contract, yeah, we're we're, we're wandering far afield. 
Okay. Um, just wanted to give like an, an understanding of your framework for the audience at large before we uh, delve into the other topics. I, 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 um, you know, we have people of all walks of life come to the podcast, so I thought it was worthwhile just to have the audience be a little bit more informed about the person who is talking about these subject matters at large. But um, mm -hmm. if we're currently speaking about your, we're currently speaking about your second article, and um, if you can just walk us through um, more of what it is. Uh, emphasizing as a bigger problem as we go along with this um, thread that you're, t you're tying all together for us. Yeah. So in the case of Peter Thiel, his motive, you know, if again, if it were just if it were just Thiel, then it, his uh, his apparent most obvious motive would stand on its own. He has a lot of investments in companies like Atai Life Sciences. Um, there are a few others whose names have, have escaped me. But if it were just that, then it would be. I don't want to say okay, but it would be normal that people like Dave Rubin, Jordan Peterson, um, Sam Harris were the three that I thought of off the top of my head, you know, that they were pushing these ideas, right? You know, you're telling, you know, you're pulling people in. It's like, hey, what do you think of this? Or even if he's just saying like, hey, you welcome to my network. You know, here's a bunch of reading, right? You know, this is your first time, you know, joining whatever organization I have. You know, here's a bunch of things. You know, they just put it in the, in the company Slack channel and everybody reads it. And you know, you, you, everybody goes along with it, and you know you have some misgivings, but you keep your mouth shut, right? And then next time it's quoted, you know, like Ben Shapiro, right? When Ben, when uh, Jordan Peterson and um, and Dave Rubin are just exchanging words with each other about how great psychedelics are, you know, Ben Shapiro just keeps his mouth shut, right? He's just like, okay, well, I guess this is what we're doing now. You know, you know how you know how famously weak-willed and willing to go with the flow Ben Shapiro is. Sometimes people just say things he disagrees with, and he just keeps his mouth shut. He's like, well, if that's how you feel. You know, who am I to disagree? Could you elaborate further on, I, you saw on your article, Jordan Peterson posted something that I thought was pretty crazy of a claim where he tried to say that, was it roughly 85% of people who done, um, uh, sorry, psilocybin experiments, they like quit smoking. And then he also said like cancer victims stop fearing death. And yes, cancer victims years, stop fearing death. And then he asked, Oh, so you're just going to lay that out as being delusional. And then he says there's an 85% success rate uh, in quitting smoking after one psilocybin experience. And then he says three MDMA treatments are enough to cure 72% of PTSD patients. But they have to have the mystical experience. No, and no one knows how to account for that. Yeah, that's kind of a weird claim he made too. And then he also posted an image saying like psychedelic drugs pushed a brain to a state never seen before. It's a picture of like the brain all glown up and stuff like that. Do you want to yeah. comment at that as well? <laughs> Well, I think the most interesting thing about that is one, Ben Shapiro, or not Ben Shapiro, uh, Jordan Peterson was introduced, like he was doing this, but even before, right? It's not like Peter Thiel gave him a check and say, hey, start talking about drugs. You know, there's a whole thing in the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist community, apparently, or in the, the psychiatry PhD community, where it's like passed down from master to student, like the Dark Lord of the Sith, where each master like indicate like inducts his uh his his graduate student into the world of psychedelic drugs. And I'm to Jordan Peterson. So he was doing this in April of 2017. And so, yeah, definitely it must have been um, in November of 2016 that this, yeah, it, it was in the fall semester of 2016 that Jordan Peterson went against University of, Toronto, University of Toronto's gender pronoun policy. And then it was in the spring semester that people were looking at his videos, his recorded lectures and so on. And so it was April of 2017. So in the spring semester, Donald Trump had just become president that putting the timeline right that was when jordan peterson really started to get big and even at the time he was doing drug stuff 
Okay, is there any other further points or anything you want to wrap up for your article for your Parts 2 series while we move on to the next one? Compass Pathways, that was the other company. Atai Life Sciences and Compass Pathways. Otherwise, yeah, that's it. We can keep going. All right, thank you very much. Um, Your third article in the six-part series, Rebecca Mercer and the Pharmacological Warfare. You were talking about that one that I thought was cool, where you're basically attacking more the pharmaceutical angle of like what's going on for that. And you're talking about even like Dan Crenshaw and AOC and people of that not were in the ring. You want to like elaborate like an opening for us about what that all is about? Yeah. So this is the most normal, right? And actually, I want to point this out. When I was bringing this article up to people, very often they would ask me, like, so are you asserting there's some kind of like nefarious conspiracy here? And I, at first I kind of ran from this and I say, no, 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 there's like a, a financial incentive, blah, 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 blah. But I was like, hang on a second. If a bunch of people are getting together and like lying about the benefits of potentially harmful drugs in order to like make money from the government, I mean, what is that if not a nefarious conspiracy, right? I mean, people talk about like the tobacco companies or, you know, tobacco companies getting together to lie about tobacco being healthy, or they talk about, you know, this deranged idea that like, what is it, all the car companies shut down the San Francisco streetcar system? I mean, that is a nefarious conspiracy, even though it's not about like, you know, mind control. God, could you imagine mind control project? So by that logic, yes, what we are talking about is a nefarious conspiracy. And the only question is like, is the motive just, you know, the love of filthy lucre? Or is it, you know, something like a, a thought control project? And so since Peter Thiel has, you know, direct investments in the company, he's like, okay, so maybe he's just in it for the money. And in the case of like Rick Perry, he's definitely just in it for the money. Um, there are a lot of Republican politicians. There's um, Republican donors like the Mercer Foundation who are donating huge money to get, the, as you were saying earlier, um, Sola, you know, to get the VA to prescribe these psychedelic drugs to the troops to cure their PTSD. Yeah, it, this on its own is like a story that, 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 that could have just been published by, by anyone. Yeah, um, yeah, Dan Crenshaw, um, Rick Perry, who else did I say? You said Marcus um, Luttrell as well. Marcus Luttrell, yes. Um, Rand Paul, honestly. Uh, and, and actually, Rand Paul's veteran liaison during his campaign for president in 2016, his veteran liaison works for the mm, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And there's other, like, veteran-led organizations. Uh Marine Lieutenant General Martin Steele. I, I really do love that name. Uh, uh, Navy SEAL Marcus Capone. Yeah, none of these people have real names. Marcus Capone and, and Martin Steele. And there's one other. You know, all these guys have different, they have veterans exploring treatment solutions. There's reason for hope. And oh, uh, yeah, and a lot of this ties into, you know, uh, uh, not right to, was right to try, right? Yeah, right to try stuff about getting, or, or it hooks on to right to try. You know, but keep in mind, right to try in its original conception as libertarians were originally talking about it was like you have people that have like terminal cancer or something, and there is some drug that might, you know, maybe it has like a forty percent chance of you know uh, easing your cancer, and they say, well, that's not even fifty fifty. It's like, well, forty percent is better than a hundred percent chance. So let me try it, right? It's like, well, does have FDA approval? It's like FDA approval. Yeah, we wouldn't want me to die of the cancer that I had, right? But right to try was never about like, oh, I have cancer and I think that ayahuasca will make me feel better about the fact that I'm, I'll am i stop fearing death. I have the right to try that. I mean, fine, I'll be willing to say maybe you do have the right to try that as like a free thing individual or whatever, but that's not what right to try is, right? It's a hijacking 
of that original talking point into now this idea of we need to get uh, people who, uh, you know, they're, you know, they're, 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 they're having these traumatic nightmares whenever they hear fireworks or whatever. So we need to be giving them psychedelics. Very different. And really quick, do you want to elaborate more on Red Cell, the company, and Grant versus Standing? Because you wrote about that um, for the NSA, and he's one of the co-founders of TerraMind and a lot of stuff like that. You want to get more to that? Yeah, so TerraMind is a company that I'll just read their description. Uh, they want to feed healthcare data, including from Vets' as Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions, uh, from Vets' past work into artificial intelligence programs to match veterans with psychedelic substances and clinics. And a major backer of TerraMind is Red Cell Partners. And if you look at the board of Red Cell, I really just just went through just one after the other, one after the other. I mean, it just it's very normal in a sense, Iron Triangle stuff. We have a former CEO of Northrop Grumman. We have former Defense Secretary, who was a John McCain Distinguished Fellow. We have um, a former Vice Chairman of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve. We have uh, someone who's on the board of directors of the CIA Officers Memorial Foundation. Uh, and the Rand Corporation, the Rand Corporation, don't get it twisted, is not a company. It is a think tank for the Defense Department. Uh, then um, the C, the lead independent director is the CEO of Aetna. Aetna is another big pharma company. So you have um, you have a, a, a venture capital fund, which is also uh, where one of um, the chief investment officer of a venture capital fund is also the CEO of a pharmaceutical company. I mean, it's the private sector. That's allowed, but that's worth noting, I think. Uh, and then their president was a- a acting director of cost assessment and program evaluation the Department of Defense. So the whole company um, of Red Cell Partners is just in bed with the Defense Department. And, you know, there are plenty of companies that are in bed with the Defense Department. You know, it makes sense, or at least it is a normal feature of American life, that if you were to look at the board of directors of Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, you know, Northrop Grumman, and so on, I mean, we've all seen what, uh, what is that thing we saw, like, why we fight? I think all of us at this point, at the age of, you know, in our 20s, have seen this old clip talking about the military industrial complex. We all know about this. We take this as normal. The stranger thing, you know, then is the fact that the same, the same kinds of people who you would think would be retiring to get into selling bombs are also retiring from being generals to get into, you know, <laughs> matching veterans with, with, with psychedelic clinics. No, it's definitely for me too. It, it, this article, I'd want to say thank you for it because it kind of hit pretty close for home for like the situation I'm going through currently. But and I just want to emphasize again because the fa- because in the case of these organizations, the, the 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 shape of the scam is the same, which is we want the DOD to buy our product. Then that is in a certain sense normal. This is a self. This is like a self-contained conspiracy. If you know what I'm saying. It kind of reminds me of The Boys, if you ever seen that show, of like Vought International. Sure, of yes. Trying to like get soups into the like DOD. You think, like, we're a, we yeah. think we're a superhero company. We are not. We're a pharmaceutical company. You are yes, a mascot. Exactly. <laughs> Hazy, do you have anything you want to comment on this article or anything you want to bring up as well, your own questions and reading? Uh, no, this is actually the section that um, I thought was fine as, as is. I think... Um, I think um, in terms of just critical thinking, I really do like Marcel's way of engaging with it in terms of not just looking at a connection and therefore i.e. excusing it as being bad. Rather, um, he looks towards 
like what is it in service of and then critiques it off of that nature rather than saying connections to the government oh i.e evil so you know i i appreciate that we've gone past like the like the first layer of like engaging with connections and how they operate um also i sincerely do appreciate the amount of citations that are brought about by this piece alone like the the, the amount of hyperlinks is greatly appreciated and i and i really it was the extensive level of, of research you did to this um piece um so um if you um if you want to move into the third piece and just express the overarching message of the article at, at large i um i'm willing to do that a little bit more on mk ultra though would that be okay um or so just want to jump straight to that we accept the elon musk uh article uh you mentioned mk ultra in the third article as well didn't you oh yes grant verstandig yes that, that yeah. was just the uh, coming attractions yes um let me find it yeah apologies about that i'm still in the third article going through it right now oh by all and means so grant verstandig who is a ceo of red cell uh he's he he talks about mk ultra went as part of an interview i believe it was with the guardian let me make sure it was a Bloomberg article. Yeah, it was with Bloomberg. And, you know, he says, see, it's not, it doesn't say what prompted him in the interview to say this, because at the bottom of the article, it simply says, quote of the day, and it quotes Grant for standing, and he says, MKUltra was one of the darkest times in the history of the Central Intelligence Agency. Coming at you with drugs to see what can be used for espionage or blackmail. This is the opposite. This is special op soldiers who have come home with invisible wounds. We've partnered to produce life-changing therapies for them. I mean, thanks. Thanks for that, Grant. Thanks. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> but I think the most MKL okay. will have to come excellent. when we get to it. That we're was at the halfway point. A little bit um, in your article. I love that part. Mm -hmm. like, oh, thanks, Grant. Uh, that was interesting. Thanks, Grant. Huh. I wasn't thinking about it until you said it, but, you know, okay. It's like, oh, my God. Why you say that? <laughs> it's like the Bart Simpson. Like, what an odd thing to say. <laughs> but again, I'm actually not going to accuse uh, Grant for standing of doing mind control stuff. I think Grant Versandig is in it for the money. Although, um, let me make sure I have it right. Um, Lou Becky, who was Rand Paul's, um, who was Rand Paul's veteran liaison, and works as a lot. He works as a lobbyist for MAPS, a multidisciplinary multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. He, or at least that firm, that thing, that that is thought control. MAPS is not in it for the money. There is an ideological agenda here. And I want to make sure nobody misunderstands me. I mean thought control both in the sense that MAPS has an ideological and not monetary agenda, and also MAPS does research on mind control. Would there be any last closing comments for your third article or anything you want to bring up to bring us home in that while we go over to the next one about Elon Musk? Uh, no, I think that'll be that. All right, sounds good. So, um, Elon Musk grass toucher that's has be a funny thing especially considering how he took over twitter and now <laughs> changed it to x and the influence he put through and him bringing up the pseudo people like you know russell brand and all the stuff like that and what particular to me i felt like this article out of all of yours stood out a little bit more different um what prompted you to write this particular part of it this one so this the reason this was oh because um rfk jr Right. RFK Jr. was making the rounds as maybe a little less so now, but a lot of like right wingers were getting into the into RFK Jr. And he was like 
you know, Elon Musk support. I could do a whole thing on RFK Jr. and like who his major donors are and things like that. But he was part of this nexus, this network. And actually, let me just let me see. Yeah, then you go further of Tim Pool and Pod Saves America and a lot of yeah, these guys. He was making the rounds on these podcasts. Because I just remember um uh I had at one point remarked how RFK Jr. was only promoted by like DeSantis donors to siphon votes, like schizo votes away from Donald Trump. If I didn't write about it in this article, I must have made a Twitter post about it. And in the course of this, you know, I saw RFK doing again pharma skepticism, anti-COVID stuff, and psychedelic stuff, and with all like the same few podcasts, and he's being promoted by Elon Musk. So that was what brought this in, right? You know, you have in this case, it's not like, oh, you know, the left went too far, let me be a right-wing thought leader. It, it's more like I'm a left-winger, but I'm also insane. Let me be a right-winger. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things I found to be kind of interesting about Joe Rogan and uh, Elon Musk is that um, I do believe um, being these sort of countercultural uh, I like icons to some degree. Um, let it not be mistaken. Um, like he was like one of the most uh, popular individuals that was like not really mainstream to like collaborate with people like PewDiePie. Or like Joe Rogan, like it's smoking with Joe Rogan on the podcast. Uh, these individuals have like cultivated themselves as like anti, like mainstream to some degree, while also being one of the biggest figures in mainstream populist like conscience. Um, with that comes this narrative of of like unprecedented knowledge about certain subject matters. Um, I do believe. Um, um, Two things. One of the things I thought was kind of interesting is that I've been kind of berating the the talking of ventilation systems and how he didn't understand how those work. But um, due to his expertise in other fields, people just give him this unfeathered and unpenetratable um, expertise of all things that exist. Even on a Twitter space in which he was discussing reconfiguring X. Um, the Twitter um, app and trying to figure out how that worked. Simple questions um, resulted in him calling people assholes because he just didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, RFK was doing this or Elon Musk was doing this? Elon Musk. Elon Musk was doing this. My apologies. Elon Musk was talking about um, basically trying to work with the frame of Twitter's uh, machinery and having to uh, revamp the entire system from ground up. And the questions about how or why would you even need to do that resulted in calling people assholes. So um, I just think that I think it's important for people to know that people of um, exceptional uh, heights within success or ascertaining um, social media platforms are limited in their expertise in every facet or every uh, confine of life. But they are also seen as experts. And to condense this down, because um, I understand um, the brevity of your time, I thought it was important to bring these sort of individuals up who do also um, market psychedelics as well. But that word is taken as gospel due to this um, cultish um, fan base uh, they, they, um, and how um, emphatic their audience is about their um, presence on online media and how it sometimes brings legitimacies to what they say. So, um, that's another to Bronze Age pervert in a way, how he's becoming a new icon of the right, basically the non-religious <laughs> one. 
Yeah, I, I would say the sorry. six heads of this Hydra, as far as um, fake dissident podcasts are, are Lex Friedman, Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson, Pod Save America, Tim Pool, and Russell Brand. Um, all of these, all six of these people, they have the same, like they interview the same people, right? All, all their guests are basically the same, even though they're supposedly ideologically different. You know, a podcast is just as informed by the guests as the host. And so if you're, if you're all interviewing the same people, you're basically pushing them the same ideological agenda. You know, we already see that of the people I listed, Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson are directly affiliated with intellectual dark web. Um, so I'm pretty sure. So for that matter is Tim pool. Tim pool is a regular attendee of like a variety of libertarian events I've been to. Russell Brand is his own, maybe, you know, so to speak, his own thing. Pod Save America. Uh, and then Lex Friedman is just Lex Friedman. So three of them are known associates of like the Teal Network, like like known sort of members of it. Brand, Pod Save America, and Lex Friedman, maybe less so. But I mean, Lex Friedman's inclinations are just blatantly clear just by watching a show. Um, and and Russell Brand again, you know Russell Russell Brand is sort of in a certain way this unpredictable figure. He's like, oh, I have this quirky personality. I just want socialism. But if you're interviewing the exact same guests, citing the exact same research, making the exact same points, then how different are you really? Right. So what these people do is, you know, they allow people to listen to these thoughts and they're like, wow, I am like really threatening the establishment with my heterodox thoughts. But you have like, you know, it's like um. Uh, it's like you're at the, it's like a like, not store brand cereal. It's like something deeper. It, it's like, yeah, it's, it's not even bootleg versions. I'm trying to think of like a good metaphor for this. Of like, I a good good metaphor too. Um, like drinking yeah, Diet Coke um, while simultaneously believing you're having such a revolution and um, drinking this alternative uh, Diet Coke. You know, you're, you're you're taking life by the wheels, but it's like it's still Coke at the end of the day. Or, or, or yeah, or no, even something different. It'd be more okay. Uh, like imagine, so you had a, a company that that produces, like, say, a cereal, and you know they they sell it in a certain box when they sell it at Walmart, but then they sell it in a different box when they sell it at Trader Joe's. But you open up the bag and it's the exact same cereal with the exact same nutrition facts. But like at Trader Joe's, they just emphasize. You know, at Trader Joe's, they emphasize how healthy it is, but at Walmart, they actually intentionally make it look generic and cheap. So that you think that it is less expensive than it is because they want you to think like, I am saving money relative to, you know, the name brand thing. But actually you are buying the name brand thing. Guys yeah, similar to like Dave Rubin where he has like every other guest on and he just says like, I agree with that for every guest. I agree like he had a guest that. on, yeah, no, he had a guest on, he was like, yeah, I want to fully abolish like homosexual marriage and the legitimacy of them. I agree with that. He shook his head. I'm like, bro, you're a gay man. Just yeah, got wait married. A yeah. Not only that, he has, a he has an adopted child. Anything about yeah, but, all the most pointless instance he had with uh, Ben Shapiro when he's like, yeah, you know what? Uh, let this and allow people to have like conversations like you and me. You would like come to like my uh, my celebration of my wedding and all that. He's like, actually, uh, um, yeah, I wouldn't come to your wedding. You know, that's <laughs> the worst part of this entire article <laughs> series is that like Ben Shapiro comes out of it smelling like a rose. You know, of all, you know, I, I, I despise Ben Shapiro with a fiery passion, but he's just not. Who do we lose? No, sorry about that. Continue. Yeah. You know, Ben Shapiro, I hate him with a fiery passion, but he's just not doing any of these bad things that all these other guys are doing. He's just, and, and that makes sense though, right? Because Ben Shapiro owns Daily Wire, right? He is not owned by anybody. He is an owner, right? He is his own media company. He already makes his own money. And so that should be telling that 
when Ben Shapiro sits in conversation, I mean, um, Jordan Peterson is an employee of Ben Shapiro, but all the same, right? You know, Jordan Peterson is part of this network. So when Ben Shapiro sits down in this, he just shuts up. And just imagine, that's almost frightening, right? What kind of forces need to be brought to bear for Ben Shapiro to shut up? Yeah, that says a lot right there if you get Ben Shapiro to shut yeah, up. Yeah, you know, Ben Shapiro's got to sit down on a set that he owns with like Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson. And they, the two of them are just talking about how cool drugs are. And he's like, well, you know, I never do these things. And then it's like, oh, okay. And they just go back. And so he's like, not even here. It's like, what? Ben Shapiro, well, what? Can you talk about like Elon Musk and his role in all this in this article um, for the whole Elon Musk grass talk- toucher? Yes. Yeah, so now, Elon Musk was the title piece of this. And that was, I admit, a little bit just to catch eyeballs. But since Elon Musk is also a guest of just about all these podcasts, I think he only, he's only not, he only has not been on Russell Brand. He has been on, he's been on Lex Friedman. He's been on Joe Rogan. He has been on Jordan Peterson. He has been on Tim Pool. So Russell Brand and Pod Save America are the only two, I think, that he has not been on. Um, and, I, and like I said, they have, these, these guests have a lot in common, but it's not perfect overlap. But again, but Elon Musk is big into transhumanism, uh, micro, again, transhumanism is based. I'm actually for it. But, you know, he's in that same sphere of like, you know, yeah, these drugs just open your mind. You know, the thing that differentiates um, Jordan Peterson uh, and Russell Brand is, well, Jordan Peterson and Russell Brand have the exact same opinion, right? The exact same opinion. There's no difference between those two. But between Jordan Peterson and Russell Brand versus these tradcasts is that tradcasts and orthos think that it puts you in touch with Jesus Christ and, uh, and, and demons. You know, Jordan Peterson and Russell Brand say it just opens up to the vaguely spiritual. I mean, you've seen what it's like when you ask Jordan Peterson, like, hey, what are your religious beliefs? And he just becomes yeah, he's like the hashtag spiritual, not religious motherfucker is what he is, basically. And yeah, he's, he's just, like, oh, I read you. And I'm like, cool, man. That's so what, what's your religious beliefs? I'm going to follow you. Like, <laughs> say Christ is Lord, right? Yeah. No, really. So Elon Musk <laughs> is, you know, one of the, 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 the common spokes on this wheel. Well, okay. Um, is there Hazy? Is there any comments you want to have? Want to start article? And same for Marcel before we move on to the, um, sorry, fourth article before we move on to the fifth one. Um, from legendary uh, Jordan Peterson. Um, I operate as though God exists. Is my uh, favorite uh, response to him being asked, does he think God believe? Does he believe God exists? And it's like, <laughs> it's the type of answer that's kind of like, all right, I feel like <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. Um, but I, th- I do think it was um, important to bring these two people up uh, just just to show uh, a bit of connections into the um, overarching like, subject matter. But also the fanaticism of the word is also has uh, if um, a bit of gospel to it, how it's unquestioned, how people will flock to the word about the subject matter and won't question what they say. Um, which is why things like 80% of the people won't put on ventilations are the reason why like ventilation is killing COVID patients. And you're really honest. That, like the lethality or like when you're put on a ventilation system, it's on the likelihood that you're probably not going to make it. And so even, <laughs> so it's one of those things you go, oh, okay. Like none of you people looked it up and you guys just took his word for it uncritically because he's not mainstream. You know what I mean? It's the same thing yeah. that happened. I think the talk down that um, Joe Rogan got from Bill Burr was so exceptional. And he's like, he like was a guy and saying like, what do you think is going on? They're like, come on, like, I'm not going to pretend like I know more than what I actually do. But since Joe Rogan is such a um, 
anti-culture sort of like um, top of the echelon figure. He's seen as like an authority for whoever he has on and, and how many scientists he had on during the pandemic, uncritically accepting what he was saying, going, oh, okay, okay. I mean, granted, there were time periods where he does have to push back because there's sometimes insane claims like ones from Matt Walsh where he said millions of children on HRT. And he's like, OK, I, I got OK, I, I have to fact check you on that because like that, that is too far to the point where it's so obviously wrong that someone's going to point that out. But beyond that, I think that it's extremely important to bring up these individuals due to how not only the their uh, influence, but how uncritically their influence is accepted. So we can move on to the no, next definitely one. Agree. Yeah, um, Marcel, any closing comments before we get to the next one? Oh, just one aspect of this article I forgot to emphasize was the introduction of a new cast member, which is Robin Carhart-Harris, who is the head of the Center for Psychedelic Research at the Imperial College London, uh, and Tim Ferriss, who is, in a certain way, he's like a major player in that psychedelic, like he's, he's, uh, he's an investor and psychedelics is like the primary thing he does. And so he's a major donor to all of these things, but he is not like a right-wing thought leader in any other way. So that is why he's like, he only appears in this article. But in terms of like moneyed interests behind getting all of the, like, you know, he, uh, Tim Ferriss basically signs Robin Carhart-Harris's checks at uh, the Psychedelic Research Center. And Carhart-Harris has been on basically all of these podcasts. And actually it was very funny, uh, yesterday in the in discussion that we had when somebody was, you know, trying, you know, citing the research to me. It's like, oh, look at that. Leo Roseman and Robin Carhart Harris. Like, there they are again. Because this world is very incestuous. Like, there's very, there aren't that many researchers actually doing it, but all of their work gets like a lot of like shuffling around and play in all, again, of these disparate locations or these seemingly disparate locations. Yeah, there's a bit of a um, serolacrum um, to some degree. Um, where I remember a while back ago, and um, then you guys are um, have to know necessarily what I'm referring to, but it's about like a harassment stream that happened to um, a streamer named Kefos. And while the drama with the individual in question has subsided, what I found interesting is that they were getting um, they were getting uh, flooded with this person's community. And it was an article that was describing her rise to prominence through this harassment campaign that led to people like coming to her support. And the harassment campaign that occurred lasted like an hour and was like around. And then it got blown people. out of proportion. Kind of similar yeah, to like gamer game people. Stuff. And this was prior to the person in question even knowing who Keffels was. But more importantly, what I thought was interesting is that the citation of it occurring happened in another article that was citing an article that happened not only on the website, but cited Scaffolds as the source of the claim of what was occurring to her. So once you looked at the other article, the other article was citing Keffels to report on Keffels in the secondary article. So it's like hmm. they're all it's it, it, playing into the it's around about what it is. You know, yeah. it'd be really cool would be if oh, there was okay. some website that existed that we could just catalog every dumb thing Keffels has ever said. Oh, yeah. We can have a central <laughs> repository for all the dumb things all these lolcals have ever said, like just all of them together. So you could just, maybe even like a, a a biweekly show that we could watch, so that we could just make sure was, that yeah, crazy. You know, these, yeah, <laughs> you know, if, if anybody that way, we could all just get mad at the internet together. You know, that'd be pretty funny. All right, yeah, I'm gonna say go ahead. Let's get this intro knocked out for the fifth piece. Um, Christina Angermeyer, probably butcher her name. Sorry about that. Killing an error by the cure. What is your intro for this? Uh, hmm, how best to introduce this article? 
So Hello? this is where now we this this one lays foundation for real the MK Ultra piece, where we see how when the liberals are writing about this, they take note that you know we were told by Timothy Leary and Terrence McKenna that these um that these drugs were supposed to turn people into left wingers. But sorry, Sola, can you not hear me? And he's back. Um, I'm yes. not quite sure what's happening. At the that. Um, that must have just been like a quick spike in my internet. Sorry, did you hear my question? Let's just ask it again, just in case. Yeah, no, I was asking, can you give us an intro for your part five of the articles you wrote covering, um, sorry, Christine Anger Mayer and Christian Anger Mayer, killing an Arab yes. by the cure, yes. So when left-wingers were talking about this, one of the things they talked about was how Terrence McKenna and Timothy Lear and these others said like, oh, you know, these drugs, they open up your mind and bring you closer to nature. But, you know, these right-wingers, when they go to Burning Man and take these drugs, they come out the same neoliberals that they always were. You know, what's going on there? And we see that there is research being done by MAPS and other uh, MAPS, Imperial College London and other groups that is there to look into how you can use these drugs to change minds. And the thing that they're really into is uh, de-radicalization. So they have studies on giving ayahuasca to Palestinian Arabs. They have studies on like de-radicalizing members of the far right. You know, people who went to Charlottesville can giving them MDMA, make them stop being Nazis. So there is, and, and MAPS, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, Rick Doblin, others in that sphere, you know, they are also backers of Robin Carhart Harris, backers of Leo Roseman, backers of Natalie Lila Ginsburg, backers of, let's see, Carhart Harris, Doblin, Ginsburg, and Roseman. Yeah, and, and uh, Sammy Awad, who just was, took part in the, um, the Palestine Ayahuasca study. And they talk about, you know, a reduction or transformation of activism. And these guys, when they talk about this, they have a pretty solid handle of what psychedelic drugs do to you. They make you stupid, right? Uh, you know, they have, I'm just going to read one of these guys talking about how, like, you know, I realized I'm not really a Muslim. I'm not an Arab. You know, nobody's Arab. You know, I'm a, I'm a being of light, man. And that's like the article, that's like the quote that, that uh, Carhartt Harris uses in when he's pitching, when he's like at the top of the article you know, a reduction or transformation of activism. And they're doing the same thing to people who are, you know, Nazis or so-called Nazis here in America. You know, so there, I mean, that is a mind control experiment. Like there's nothing even talk about here. You are trying to find some ways to give people who are, you know, political dissidents, they're giving them drugs so they will stop doing the activism that they're doing. So you are trying to rot people's minds with drugs, right? Yeah, you mentioned this earlier, but it literally puts holes in the brain and the gray matter, correct? Yeah. Yeah. On that, um, is there anything we want to talk about for Doctor Newer um, working for like maps and stuff like that? Because that caught me off guard when you were bringing up maps earlier in the previous article and seeing a connection there. Uh, there's very little I can say off the cuff on this topic. I'll just I'll just encourage the people to read this. But there's a lot here. Okay, there's a lot here. And 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 to there there were many things that I could not summarize. I could only block quote the article they came in. No, but, but an example enough. of a person who used who's on the okay. There's an example of a person that was on the right. Then they got into the sphere and then they became really stupid. Alex Jones, right? You can find clips of Alex Jones from 1997 talking about black helicopters and police surveillance, and he's making very cogent points about FLIR, forward-looking infrared, which is a real technology that actually exists. 
Uh, it's very simple. You just point the laser at a, at, a, at a house or whatever, and any heat sources in the house will reflect back. And so you can image, I mean, this is just, so we just consider this as, yeah, infrared vision, right? But you can attach yeah. it to, second. No, I was saying, it, yeah, in an article too, you compared like, you know, him earlier to him now on Joe, um, Joe Rogan, talking about interdimensional psychic vampires. Yeah, crazy. he went from talking oh, about how, uh, you know, the, the, the police are using surplus military technology to like look into people's houses which, you know, they were, and he even says they used it at first for the war on drugs, and then they expanded the program to counter terror. And between those two, every police department in the country now just has these things. And, you know, within like a few years, the Supreme Court said, yeah, this is for the most part okay. And then he went, and then now he's talking about how the government has intelligence agents, you know, taking ayahuasca in order to engage in diplomacy with aliens from other galaxies, you know, a reduction or transformation in activism. I also talk about Mike Cernovich who, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on him even in the old days, but he owned the libs really hard, a lot. And then he got into psychedelics, and now he talks about, like, how mass movements require animal, like, animating energy. And he means energy, not like, oh, like, we need to devote our effort, but energy in the vibration sense. Yeah, don't forget animal spirits, too. Animal spirits. And here's where we got to Roosh V. And Roosh V's, you know, really interesting story of converting to Christianity you know, I didn't, I, the reason I didn't, I remember now, I didn't put this Rouge V thing into the original, into the first one, because in this case, I do want to attack Rouge V for his religion. So let's just read this. Uh, Rouge was a pickup artist who ran Return of Kings. Uh, and in 2012, he was getting SPLC, um, you know, dossiers on him. And in 2016, he began like, doing pro-Trump stuff. He wrote a book, Free Speech Isn't Free. And in 2018, his sister died, natural causes. In, eight, in October 2018, he was debanked. Um, because that's a thing that happens in America. Banks decide that they don't want to do business with you, and then you just can't, you just can't transact. You just can't have your website. You just can't do anything. So in December of 2018, he went to Poland for a six weeks sex party, presumably like Andrew Tate, but instead of Romania, Poland. You know, Poland, Romania, close friends. Uh, and he says that the at the end of the six week visit, all that sex wasn't doing it for him. He asked God to give him guidance. And then this British sex bat that he had met in 2014, he came across him again, came across him in the sense of like meeting him, not came across him like sexually. Uh, he's like, hey, can you let me try magic mushrooms? And then he did a heroic dose of magic mushrooms. And then in March 2019, so this happened in Christmas, and then now in March, he returned to the Armenian Apostolic Church. And then in May 2020, he got baptized ortho. And he's like totally depoliticized. He's like, I, I'm not in the red pill. I'm on the God pill. You know, life isn't about, you know, life isn't about like doing pickup artist stuff. It's not about anti-feminism. It's not about free speech. It's about asking him for help and performing his will in a way that embraces good. So Rouge has become depoliticized, a reduction or transformation of his activism. Right. That is what will happen to you when you get into this world of drugs. You go for being, again, you know, what, you know, I'm not, I wasn't like a Rouge V fan in the old days. I never really read his website. Not, I'm not saying this like as a, like a moral defense of myself. If you read Return of Kings, it does something for you, good. But Return of Kings did good things for people, I imagine. Um, Alex Jones's information was highly informative back in those days. I mean, a lot of, you know, you know Radley Balco's Rise of the Warrior Cop had to catch up with Alex Jones. Um, and then when it comes to Mike Cernovich, I mean, you know, listen, like I said, he owned the libs a lot, right? But all three of them have gotten into this world and they've just become stupid and useless. 
And what would you say really quick on um, his name's Murphy, Connor Murphy, how he ascended down. He's like claiming he's God and everything like that. What would you say that's all for? Another, oh, like, yeah, Cerno, yeah, that's Cerno talking about Connor Murphy. He's just doing the same bit about um, being in the right liturgical framework and using Christianity as your scuba suit. That's a perfect example of somebody who says, like, as long as you are properly secure, you know, you say your blessings to the emperor, then you can enter into the war. You know, you get into a private world of total nonsense and all these, I mean, Alex Jones is deplatformed, but but these other people, I mean, they have platforms now, you know, Roosh was banned from everything and now he's on Twitter. I mean, he's on everything. Like he's, he, he, you know, you know, back when you were doing pickup artist stuff, that was, you know, oh, we can't have that. That's hateful. Oh, what are you doing now? Like psychedelic Christianity. Okay. Welcome back. You know, you are no longer a dissident. You are no longer a threat. Welcome back. It's almost like getting um, sterilized, if you will, kind of like you take out the edge off of someone and you're like, all right, you're no longer something we got to worry about. Yes, actually, one of the, um, let me find the quote. Uh, there's a guy, Dr. Sausa Nur Adin, who was responding to that uh, Israeli Palestinian ayahuasca bowl. And he said, you know, I suggest on the basis of in my analysis that this trial risks functioning as an exercise in psychedelic lobotomy. Like, you know, you need to trust your normal instincts, right? Now, to go ahead, Salsa Nori didn't just responding. Like, Salsa just read this paper, looked at it, and said, hold on a second. And he just acknowledged the obvious of what is there. And this is a problem in our sphere, and this will come, uh, we'll get to the next article, and so we're kind of running against the clock. You know, a lot of, you know, in our space, in our orbit, you know, they take advantage of your fear of, like, missing out, your fear that like, well, if I don't go along with whatever crazy thing this 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 right wing thought leader is doing, then I'm back out in the cold, you know, listening to my Lidfart family members, and I won't be able to talk about cool stuff anymore. So I guess if he's talking about, it, I guess I'll go like, no, don't go along with it. Look at what's happening and just say, listen, that's dumb, that's stupid. And as we, I mean, again, granted, you maybe you will lose your opportunity that you will be banned, but that should cause you to think, right? Like the only way that your strong stance will get you in trouble is not because your friends will exclude you. It's because, like, when you start speaking too loudly, all of these free thinkers will, you know, a Twitter will be like, whoa, and then you'll, you'll be throttled, you'll be deplatformed or whatever. It's like, sorry, we only allow stupid right-wingers on our platform. We only allow, like, just gibbering morons who do drugs and encourage our audience to do drugs. And I see that you want to do cool right-wing stuff without saddling it down with, like, useless nonsense. So I'm sorry, that's just not allowed on this platform. No, definitely. Is there any last comments you want to have on this before we move on to the final one? Because sorry about that, we're in a rush, but we are against the clock right now. No, and I feel like the last one's the best. Yeah, I mean, the last one, I mean, you know, it just, we really saved the best for last year. Yes. Uh, so this one is on CIA Project MKUltra. So now this one is just looking into the past and looking at how does the past inform the present. And one thing that I didn't even, that we should, the first thing is part of MKUltra, just forgetting everything else. Part of MKUltra was that the CIA, in doing this research, like outsourced it to like every university in the country by creating cutout organizations doing grants, right? Like, you know, the the interest in LSD studies that was happening in the 60s and 70s was not an organic phenomenon. The CIA was using proxy organizations to outsource some of the research they wanted done, right? So if we see, you know, a bunch of academics who are like, who are researching this very strange topic, it's like... You know, this is top down, right? Somebody is writing these grants. Who's interested in these grants? In some cases, we know it's Tim Ferriss, right? But in other cases, who else? So that's one thing you should know straight out of the gate. But yeah, so MKUltra, Sirhan Sirhan, and Adam Waffen. 
MK Ultra is a very severely misunderstood program. Uh, so things people even understand it at all. They have this sort of brain dead take where they say like, oh, they tried to make mind control, but all they made is LSD. And this is, it, it's call and response. Everybody says, everybody thinks this. Everybody needs to ask yourself, if that's true, why did everybody involved get medals and promotions? How can that be? Sidney Gottlieb got to retire 15 years early and he had a plaque on the wall and the plaque on the wall wouldn't even say what he did. Like he, like he literally got a plaque on the wall in Langley and it's like to Sidney Gottlieb and it was like an empty fucking space on, on what, on what his impression was. You know, oh, you think because that didn't work? You think they're just ashamed? It's like, oh, you know, better get him out of here. We're just so embarrassed. No, okay. The program worked. MKUltra was an outgrowth. So the CIA first had Operation Bluebird, uh, which was an interrogation program, then, Art then Artichoke, which was a torture and interrogate, like a, a more comprehensive torture and interrogation program. And then MK Ultra was there to study if drugs could be used to leave little souvenirs. You know, what if we got you high, interrogated you, and gave you orders? And then after you sobered up, you would continue to believe it. You know, well, that's that must prove it's true. Uh, they showed that LSD could be used uh, in the right circumstances as an interrogation drug. These people tested it out on each other, it was a really funny bit. Uh, they were testing out on soldiers. Um, some, some were just recreational experimenting, but it worked to interrogate. And there's a great book on this called Poisoner in Chief about Sidney Gottlieb. Sidney Gottlieb was doing just about every chemical program the CIA had. He was working on poisons. He was working on chemical defoliants. Uh, but MKUltra was like his baby. He absorbed everything into it. I think um, it's worth noting at this point in the conversation when people try to dismiss MKUltra as just being LSD. Um, it was worth, I think it was very significant that in prior articles, you mentioned how people who have gone on a trip of LSD or other psychedelics, how their perception of things have been drastically altered to some degree, or at least how they like explain how reality works to some degree. Like, I think people really, um, at the very least downplay what LSD is and what type of effect it can have on people. They think of it as just like a brief, um, as a brief um, change in like perception, and then you just come down. Some people like Giga, I believe his name was uh, not the enemy man, um, but he was a YouTuber who constantly had the Fulakui, um picture for some time. I think uh, too much of that sort of drug like led him to like try to create like this revolutionary con in which he wanted like enlightened thinkers and not realizing like. His influence as a YouTuber, he kind of just really went off the deep end. But I, I just, all this to say, I think people really downplay how impactful LSD can be to the mind. So yeah. to just simply call it LSD really doesn't speak significantly to how it can impact one's like processes. Yeah, so. some of these people, like uh, Morse Allen, who was director of the Bluebird program, um, which was reorganized into artichoke under Gottlieb. I mean, he was taking hypnotism courses and using it to fuck his secretaries. Well, hypnosis isn't real. Oh, well, doesn't matter. You know, still beat though. <laughs> what was like, it? The CIA is your best friend. The agent is your best friend. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah, somebody was saying, you know, just because you believe, like, the fact that you believe afterwards that uh, what you saw on the drugs is real means that it is real. It's like, no, because you can take drugs and believe the CIA agent is your best friend. Anybody who's listening to this, if you don't believe in MKUltra, if you think it's not real, things a waste of money, I'm sorry, you are like really wrong. You're really wrong. And you should read my article and you will see. This was a torture and interrogation program bolstered with drugs to try to leave some souvenirs 
you know, to, to in the in the subject, and it worked. There's a reason they went with it. It showed immediate promise when they first they tested a variety of drugs. LSD was did very well. The main problem they had was that some people, especially in the early days, some people you take LSD and you think that um, you think that your interrogator is a giant. Some people you take LSD and you think you're a giant, right? That was the, that was like the primary obstacle for the TNI stuff, right? It was just like making sure that the hallucination you have is one that makes you do what the, the interrogator says. But as a truth serum, it totally worked. Okay. And because we're running a bit on time, is there any last things you want to say about this article? Um, and then we could talk about where we could find you on social media and everything. Uh, sure. So, well, one thing I would say this is anybody who thinks that LSD is not, or for some reason cannot be a mind control drug. The example they talk, you know, John Lennon said, oh, you know, they tried to turn us into Stepford wife Republicans or whatever. And I, you know, I'm still a libtard, so it didn't work. Well, yeah, if you, are a libtard and you take drugs with your libtard friends exchanging libtard platitudes with each other, you're not going to come out of that voting for Ronald Reagan. But the question is this, if you think LSD is not a mind control drug, then I, I'm not, I don't actually invite you to do this because it would be illegal. But how would you feel if we just sat in a room together where you took LSD and I didn't, and I just started to try to convince you of my views. If you're so, and, and nobody would ever consent to that, right? It's just the very idea. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I would totally be a fine since I'm just so confident. The LSD is not a mind control drug. I will sit in a room with a sober person who does not share my views, who is doing his ever best to isolate me and persuade me to have his views. No, hell no, no one would do that. Um, no, definitely. And next, so there's two other sections in this article that are far, uh, like within this last MKUltra article, I show two cases in which it is like abundantly that MKUltra was at play. The fingerprints of it were there. The combination of hypnosis, torture, and psychedelic drugs to make people commit serious crimes. Uh, in one case, you have a guy who shot somebody. He shot somebody and missed. He shot somebody, he didn't even hit the guy, right? Somebody else actually did the final bullet pull. But it is abundantly clear that this person was not in control of himself. And, you know, this was all at trial. They were quoting his diary, saying the most insane, deranged things. And the prosecutor said it's free verse poetry. No, these are the writings, not even of somebody who is crazy. These are the writings of somebody who is, who has been traumatized. Um, and then the second example of MKUltra use is a case of a guy named Joshua Caleb Suter, who ran a group called Adam Waffen which was like a neo, I mean, it's a lot of things. Let's just say it's a neo-Nazi, Satanist, pedophile, terroristic death cult. And there are probably other adjectives that I'm missing out on, who he basically took over, he, he ran Order of Nine Angles, then he took over a group called Adam Waffen, and he, he got them all, or he got them promoting drugs when they weren't promoting drugs before. And he was recruiting like, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, getting them high, you know, basically pimping them out to other terrorist groups like the base, like Combat 18, some others. And they, they, they uh, w some of their members were doing satanic chants and like stabbing Muslims to death and were just so engrossed in it that when the police came to try to stop them, these guys were like desperately, desperately trying to decapitate these people in front of their mosques. Uh, you had people that were like vandalizing synagogues. And as soon as the cops arrested, they're like, I want to kill black people. I want to be a suicide bomber. Just like just, just ranting and raving about all the crimes they want to commit. 
and and this guy and and to be there, this guy is writing Joshua Caleb Suter was writing letters to other Satanist groups about like bringing out people's sinister potential through a combination of like sex psychedelic ritual abuse sex satanic ritual abuse and psychedelic drugs and then he even says let me make sure I find it. In the latter stages, it becomes more overt, and at that point, it is too late for them to change. They become so alienated from humanity that, well, haha, if they try to go back, they will still cause so much disruption. Saturn descends. This is good for now. In blood, B-L-K-B-T-O-B. Okay, and this guy, spoiler, was an FBI informant. You know, did Satan... Did Satan come to this man in a dream and teach him how you can use psychedelic drugs to get like like mentally ill people and like teenagers and turn them into like terrorists and murderers and rapists? Did Satan teach you that? No, I don't think so. I think an agent. I mean, even in terms of the intensity of the drug, I think it's worth noting that um, Typically on a trip, they they highly advise you having like a caretaker or somebody around you that like you can trust to be around you. Mm-hmm. And um, even you said earlier, towards- the FBI agent's your best friend or CIA agent is your best buddy. Absolutely, yeah. I'm a I'm a uh, no, I'm not gonna make it. Uh, the thing I was gonna think is very important to uh, speak about this is um, even even some cults uh, to some degree uh, uh, you can um, see the implementation or at the very least usage of psychedelics to really like break down like whether or not that be their um, home body or the ability to have connections with the outside world and the perception of the outside world and what that means to uh, perceive it. So um, I really enjoyed, I, I thought, again, to reiterate, I thought it was very important to show how these type of drugs definitely people who are on these drugs or are advising people to be on these drugs are talking about something that either one doesn't have much um, basis, such as like, um, such as the idea of like transcendent science, or um, the people who try to perceive like there being some sort of ultimatum. Like you either believe in like these alternative realities that exist around us, or you believe that like human beings' limitations are like somewhere within like like the prehistoric history, like that whole argument against Russell Brand was very excellent about that whole false dichotomy that was brought about. But yeah, um, I thought it was very interesting about like how throughout all these articles, it shows how much the incessant usage of psychedelics not only affects the mind, but to bring forth uh, the significance of psychedelics and to really evaluate uh, MK Ultra, and then to um, ensure us that it's not simply dismissed as just a, um, it's it's not just simply dismissed as LSD. Uh, it brings, if anything, the importance of like, hey, this is this is no joke of a drug. Yes, definitely. Um, Marcel, is there for the audience any way we could find you on social media? What platforms are you on? Where can we yes. find and read these articles? So. You can find this article, and I'm assuming you'll put it in the show notes. My substack is m-g-a-u-t-r-e-a-u dot substack dot com. My personal website where you can find my more academic work is just m-g-a-u-t-r-e-a-u dot com. So mgatro.com is my main website. mgatro.substack is my substack. But if you want to you know, contact me most easily, you can find me on Twitter at Anarchy in Black, all one word, obviously. A N A R C H Y I N B L A C K. Anarchy in Black, one word. That's my Twitter at. 
Thank you so much again for being on Rec Room Radio. It's amazing and phenomenal to have guests like you on. And we hope Happy to see to you. Happy to be here. Happy to talk about this all. Anytime. Yes. Um, and that should be all from us. Hazy, any last closing things you want to say before we close up? Thank you, Marcel, for bringing uh, your A game for this um, episode. Um, I think we spoke inextensively about each one of these articles to the point where it um, entices, but also greatly informs people about the magnitude of what you did thorough research about. And I respect your keen eye to look into these subject matters and delve into them. Um, but that's everything for me on my end. This has been another oh. episode of Rock Room Radio, and you've seen this all in HD. What's up, Marcel? I just want to toss out two book recommendations besides my article series. The books you should read, I, I mentioned, were Reclaiming the American Right to See the History of Neoconservatism and Former Trotskyists, Former you know, Far-Left Activists Becoming Republican Thought Leaders. I mentioned Poisoner in Chief, which is the book about the life of Sidney Gottlieb and the MKUltra program. And I mentioned um, Opioids for the Masses on... Uh, the big pharma push to get people doing oxycodone. It's not really psychedelic drugs, but it factors into um, into the Republicans, the Mercer Foundation, and that kind of thing. Yes, thank you again for the book recommendation. And for people who don't know, Marcel is a very intelligent man. He has tons of other books as well. We could get on a different topic. But uh, I know you got to go soon, so just this has been Requiem Radio signing out. You all heard us here. Thank you again for our guests, and we hope to see you again in the future. Bye.